In this episode, I'm in the room with Matthew Harmon discussing his new book, Asking the Right Questions. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 63. I'm your host, Ryan Hughley. I'm here, as always, with my good friend, Scott Douglas Holthouse. Welcome to In the Room. Also here with us today is uh, Matthew Johnson, who Our will be unmiked, but looks quite comfortable and, and we'll pleased s- with himself we'll at speak the when spoken to, just <laughs> <Yes>. to clarify. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. I've realized a lot of the things I say on here in the context of not knowing my personality, mm-hmm. make me sound like a big jerk. No, I think those are pretty accurate <laughs> to who you are as a human being. Not true. <laughs> not true. All right. This episode, we're on with Matthew Harmon. He's written a great new book called Asking the Right Questions. It's a practical guide to understanding and applying the Bible. Uh, we covered some good subject matter, but one of the things that we discussed because he brought it up, was lost. Yep. And that really got me going. I know what a big Lost fan you are, Scott. Yeah. You've seen uh, just the last 15 minutes of the last episode. Is that right? Yeah. It's like, because uh, <clears throat> I, I know the buildup to the end of that show is like bonkers. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are just out of their mind about that show. Yeah, I was one of them. Yes. And uh, I literally saw the last 15 minutes. Yeah. Enough to ruin... Well, how many seasons is it? Uh, like 106. There was a lot. Enough to make watching any of those completely pointless. Well, for I don't know if everybody remembers the commercials, but for like two weeks or a month yeah. leading up, it was like, all your questions yeah. will be answered. Yeah. And, I and didn't they didn't even, answer one question. Well, and listen, I didn't even have any questions because yeah. I didn't care. Yeah. And I was so excited. I was yeah. like... I need my question answered, but I forgot that it was on, and I remembered with like 15 this minutes. This was pre-DVR. Yeah. 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 It was when you had to get like the VHS. If you mm-hmm. wanted to watch a season, yeah. get the VHS of... It was well, like... V- what are you... <laughs> no, it was... VHS? No way. It was on DVD. I watched it on DVD. Did you? Well... VHS? Yeah. You watched I, movies on VHS? I watched Friends on VHS. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah, I watch movies. I had the all of the Mighty Duck. We've talked about the Mighty Ducks a couple times. Yeah, we've covered that. All around. of those I had, uh, I had on VHS. All the all the friends that the entire like yeah, my sister did. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's that was an important. I was giving you an out. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it was listen, headed in a bad direction. Yeah, I watch Friends with my wife. <laughs> all right, that's so always the excuse. Lost is definitely top of the list for favorite TV shows I've ever watched, with yeah. the exception of the horribly disappointing last episode. Yeah. Uh, top three favorite shows of all time. Of all time. Yeah. The Office, certainly. Yeah, that's a good pick. I almost don't want to be friends with people who don't like The Office. No offense to Matt. No, yeah, Matt has seen maybe two episodes. Matt is the exception to yeah, the rule. Sort and, of. And I believe is softening. His heart is softening yeah, to the glory of The Office. The Holy Spirit is regenerating his heart. Yes. To a love, I mean, not to salvation, but to a love of the office. Well, that's half the, now, half the way there. It wouldn't be in the room if we didn't mix in a little bit of heresy in the intro. <laughs> just apparently. a little. <laughs> just a little. Um, <laughs> the office, uh, Mad Men. Uh-huh. For sure. I watched about five episodes, and I was just so depressed by how sad <laughs> these people's <laughs> it, lives were yeah. that I didn't finish it. Yeah. it's uh, There's some dark stuff yeah. in that show, just as far as like... I got to try that again. That sort of thing. Yeah. But um, what would be number three? I'm trying to think of... Uh, you really can't think of a third show that you really like? Well, we've just friends? been... We've been talking... No. We've been talking... <laughs> I mean, Friends is funny. Yeah. Seinfeld's funny. Yeah. Um, I think probably The West Wing then. Yeah. I'm watching that right now. Yeah. I've, I, that's another one. I've seen the end of the series. Yeah. 
but I've never seen the beginning. Yeah. And so I'm a season in this morning. Mm-hmm. I told you this. I just watched the episode of the end of the first season. Spoiler alert coming. If you have not watched the West yeah. Wing. All, in all fairness, pause. though, when, when the show like, stopped airing like 13 <laughs> yeah. to 20 years ago. People that get mad about those spoiler alerts yeah. is like, it's on you. Yeah. You know what? Like, invest more time in television. Yeah, be a little more current. That's right. Um, but the end of the first season where there's an assassination attempt. Yeah, and it's pretty brutal. I'm having a hard time thinking and focusing on anything else today. I'm on my second time through the West Wing. Um, I do it when I exercise. Yeah. I'm just not. That's I'm not what just I like sitting around watching TV. I cried both times. Yeah. I even knew it was coming the second time, and I still cried. And, he, and spoiler I, alert, he doesn't even die. I, you didn't need to do that. <laughs> oh, because you haven't watched it? Yeah. Well, what do you think? They're going like to kill the president real, and then yeah. go on I mean, without him for nine seasons? seasons. <laughs> well, and on Netflix, you see the description yeah. of the next one, and it's like <laughs> President about Bartlett him. is fine. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> president Bartlett recovers from I'm going to say, yeah. if, if, uh, if Jeb, uh, not timeless said Jeb Bush, not Jeb Bush. <laughs> Josiah Bartlett. If Josiah Bartlett yeah. ran for president. I would vote yeah. for him. I'm curious if if just so Martin Sheen yeah. who played him, if he ran, I think he'd get a lot of votes. I think he'd win just because of. Well, I mean, I mean at least like. Yeah. All right. So without going <laughs> so too hard no, into no, our no, let's current, go super hard into okay. it. No, go. So so the star of The Apprentice is our president right yeah. now. Yeah. And I just want to say I'm praying for him because he's got a tough job for sure. And uh, I, I don't envy him by yeah. any means. But if that guy can become president, oh man, I'm telling you, Martin Sheen can become president. At least he could be like, what did we do? What, what did, what the did I do on the West, say on the West It would wing. be like, what was that uh, <laughs> Rob Lowe show, The Grinder? Did yeah. you ever watch that? Yeah. Where he like played a lawyer on TV. Yeah. And then that was a great show that got canceled too yeah. soon. Rob, also, Rob Lowe's unbelievable. Unbelievably handsome. Well, for sure. And yeah. has been for, I don't know, like 50 years. He looks exactly the same yeah. as when he was on The Outsiders. That guy found the fountain of youth he did. and took a couple he big drank gulps. He the Holy Grail. He took a couple yeah. big gulps from that. Yeah, big gulps. Yeah. Um, we were talking about West Wing. I was going to say something. Uh, I don't remember. What are your three? Um, what would be... <laughs> Everybody loves a good drink and exhale on a podcast. People are like walking on the treadmill right now, just like so grossed out. Yeah, that's, that's a disgusting sound that close into a mic. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I would rank these in this order. West Wing is definitely, I might have to go top five. Okay. It's hard for me. West Wing. Yep. Uh, the Newsrooms, we were just talking about, also a Sorkin, oh, who might man. be the greatest writer, the greatest writer of dialogue. I want mm-hmm. to have one conversation in my life as compelling <laughs> as any piece of dialogue yeah. Aaron Sorkin has ever written. Yeah. So those two are on my list for sure. I should have included Newsroom. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that this one's a little more polarizing for people, but The Walking Dead oh, yeah. is, uh, it took me a while to get over how scared I was. Yeah. But I just think that is one of the best done shows yeah. ever. Uh, Lost was definitely on my list. And then breaking, I didn't say breaking bad. Oh yeah. That was good too. Also dark, but very, very amazingly good. well done. Show. Better call Saul is really yeah. good as well too. Yeah. Which is the prequel. Yeah. We're watching the path. Okay. That one's really good. Uh, I don't know. That's probably, that's, but that's the majority of it. That's probably breaking it. bad was like Tammy and I didn't breathe when we watched yeah. that show. Yeah. 
which 24 was like that too. Yeah, you know what stinks is that's not on anything, right? That's not on Netflix or anything. I don't think so. Yeah. This has been going on for a very long time. It has about eight minutes now. I think maybe we just cancel the conversations we have with other people. And just talk. And you and I just talk about... I'm really cu- I'm curious. I because again we've been. I just I'm just wondering how many people actually listen to this. Yeah, and who would actually care about that? Oh, I don't know. This is the part that like when I listen to most people podcasts. Yeah, and they talk at the beginning. I'm gonna be honest. I usually skip all. Oh that. man, I because the interview always <laughs> sounds a little different. Yeah, I hit that little fifteen. Yeah, fast forward about thirty to forty times, sink yeah. into the interview, and I'm like, thank you very much. That's right. So we should probably do that. All right. Well, there's some great shows on Netflix. You should watch them. That's apparently the big idea of our conversation yep. today. Uh, in a much more meaningful manner. Uh, Matthew Harmon uh, has written a great book. He's got these four simple questions that we should ask when we read the scriptures um, that uh, will, uh, if you're not thinking and reading the Bible that way, I think will be super helpful to people. So come on in the room for my conversation with Matthew Harmon. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on in the room. Really appreciate it. Excited to talk about your new book, Asking the Right Questions. Uh, but before we jump into that, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do besides write great books, um, but where are you from originally? Yeah, so thanks for having me on. And uh, I grew up in Ohio Okay. and uh, came to faith in Christ probably around the age of 13 through right. the faithful ministry of our local church. Great. And was discipled uh, in that church by a faithful youth pastor for a couple of years. And uh, from that point, went off to Ohio University, okay. planning to be a sports broadcaster, believe it or not. Oh, you got a good voice for that. I could see that, well, actually. And I love sports, and yeah. so it's, it seemed like a good fit. And Got involved with Campus Crusade for Christ my freshman year, and through that process, the Lord redirected me into ministry. Okay. So I was actively involved with Campus Crusade, went on staff with them after I graduated, and served with them for about eight years doing evangelism and discipleship on the college campus. Also in Ohio? Yeah, at Ohio University. Yeah. And so uh, from there... Uh, I ended up uh, going off to seminary at uh, at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, mm-hmm. and then when I finished there, I went off and did my PhD at Wheaton College. Oh, that's great! And from there, graduated in 2006 and was hired at Grace College and Theological Seminary, where I've taught for the past 11 years okay, in great. New Testament and uh, and Greek, basically. Okay, great. And then I think I saw on the back cover of your book that you're also like the most overqualified small group leader in your church. <laughs> Is that right? Well, uh, maybe. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, do, I do lead a small group yeah. and uh, I, I'm on the preaching team That's great. and I teach teach regularly in our, uh, we call them life education yeah, courses, but it's awesome. basically our Sunday school uh, kind of uh, setting. Yeah. It's just a great, it's a great opportunity for me to um, bring together the academic world with the pastoral world and keep me grounded in the midst of it. Yeah, I love that. I love seeing, especially when seminary students, you know, have a foot in both worlds as they're working through that. I think that's something that's so important. Um, Absolutely. So is um, so you went to what was the name of the 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 university you went to in Ohio? It was Ohio, it was Ohio University. So, so not, not Ohio o- State. Not Ohio State, though. I grew up as a big and still am today a big Ohio State 
football fan. Was that is that a rivalry between those two schools or no? Uh, not really, because Ohio University just isn't on the same level in okay. terms of being able to compete with them. Yeah. So, um, and honestly, when I was at Ohio University, uh, the football team was literally the worst in Division One. They had lost like 29 straight games at that point. <laughs> they they were just awful. Yeah. So there was really no conflict. Yeah. Well, I went to Trinity's undergrad and I played okay. football there and we oh, won one game and it was it was not it was not great either. <laughs> so I, I, I can understand that. My least favorite thing I have to say though about Ohio State is the how everybody says the Ohio State. <laughs> that is just like trying to make the entire country hate you. Uh, that's a really effective way to do that. So I, I can understand that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure if I was on the other end of it, I'd probably feel the same way. <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, I think oh, I've noticed that you uh, mentioned that you studied under D.A. Carson when you were at Trinity. And uh, I've met him once briefly. I've heard him teach a number of times. There seems to be this like mystique uh, surrounding D.A. Carson. And so people that are familiar with him, I'm, I'm sure they're always curious to hear about just personal experience. But what was it like for you uh, sitting under D.A. Carson? Well, he uh, he's obviously a brilliant and gifted man. And um, one of the things that I always appreciated about uh, being in his classes was his heart for the church. Uh And the number of times I'd be sitting in uh, advanced Greek grammar on a Monday morning, and he would have just come back from doing a weekend of evangelism in England on a college campus doing Mm. three or four messages, taking the red eye back, and was there at 8 a.m. ready to teach and to uh, to do that. And so that, that was just a, a phenomenal model for me of someone who had a heart for, uh, ministry, had a heart for the church, had a heart for the, uh, for the college students. And, and, and so, uh, in addition to that, um, although he has this, you know, remarkable intellect and, uh, is brilliant in so many ways, uh, there've been multiple times where he's shown some, some significant pastoral interest and care in me as a person. That's awesome. And so, um, I've always appreciated that about him, uh, his ability to kind of, to, uh, to blend those two things. That's great. My favorite, when I uh, pastored in Chicago, we had a number of seminary students that interned with us and, uh, some of them had Dr. Carson in classes. And my favorite story that one of them ever told me was sitting in a, one of Dr. Carson's classes. And one of the students got pretty, was, was just a little smug and arrogant in the way that they pushed back uh, and asking a question mm-hmm. to Dr. Carson. <laughs> and they were refer- it was some, they were having a conversation that was somehow rooted in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. But when the student asked the question, he called the book Revelations uh, with the S at the end. <laughs> and, uh, my friend said that Carson responded and said, well, first of all, if we're going to have a conversation about this, you should probably know that the book is called Revelation, not Revelations. <laughs> and I just thought that was just such an awesome way to respond to an arrogant seminary student. So that's, I wasn't yes. there for it, but that's my favorite Carson story I've ever heard. It's good to hear how involved he is and his love for the church, which I really sense anytime I've ever uh, heard him teach, but um, he's, that's a great gift to be able to study under him. It was, it was. And then even at Wheaton, um, being able to study under Doug Moo as well yeah. was a was a tremendous uh, blessing to me. Very different people. Yep. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite Doug Moo stories was, I remember sitting down with him right at the start of my PhD program. Uh-huh. And uh, it was just sort of a, a conversation where he was kind of setting his expectations. Yeah. And he said, um, the first thing I want you to know is, 
you have to ha- feel the freedom to disagree with me. Huh. That you can't just take positions because I take them. Yeah. You have to take them because you own them and think that's what the Bible what teaches. What a humble thing to say. Yes, and it, it, it again, it modeled for me just that that idea of he was not interested in making a little clone, a little mini Doug Moo. He was interested in developing me uh, as a as a scholar, right. as a as a person in the church, as a man. And so, uh, just really appreciate that about uh, how gracious God has been to give me opportunities to study with these yeah. men who are not just brilliant in their ability to handle the text and teach the Bible, but uh, have a real heart for the gospel and for seeing it transform people's lives. Well, in reading your new book, Asking the Right Questions, your your love for the word comes through and uh, these men's influence on you is very apparent um, in the book. And so one of the things that you say in the book as we start to talk about that is you have a great sentence where you say to read any book well, you need to know what kind of book it is. And yeah. so when you think about some of the common perceptions that people have of the Bible, what are maybe some of the wrong perceptions regarding what type of book the Bible is that people have? Like what kind of book do you think most people read the Bible as? Well, I think one very common uh, approach to the Bible that many people have is what I, what I would refer to as the, as the magic eight ball approach yeah, to the Bible. Good which is essentially uh, they expect it to be able to give very detailed and specific answers to very specific and detailed questions about right. modern life. And so they go to the Bible and they look for this, should I take this job? Right. And they get frustrated because they can't find a chapter and verse that says Here's you should job. take yeah. this job. Yeah. Totally. And so I think – uh, that can be subtly reinforced when we refer to the Bible as sort of a, well, this is God's answer book. Yeah, or, or his manual life. for life. That's right. Yeah. Yep. And and so I, I want to I want to affirm the heart behind that statement that says the Bible addresses every area of life. Yeah. But the problem is, I think we expect it to be almost more like that that magic eight ball or even like a Google search where yep. it's. I want a specific answer to a specific question, and that's just not the way the Bible works in right. many cases. Right. I so, think in another. Go, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No. No. I was going to say one other uh, kind of com- common mistaken approach to the Bible is to just see it as a collection of interesting stories mm-hmm. that uh, have morals to them. Right. That can be helpful to us, and so we just sort of look at well. Let's look at Joseph's life and what kind of moral uh, principles do we draw from that? Let's look at David's life. And I don't in any way want to deny that the Bible does have things to teach us from those stories, but that's not the primary reason that God gave us the Bible is to give us these little vignettes, these little mini stories of collections to give us little moral truths about uh, life. Right. So if it's not a magic eight ball and it's not you know, just fables. When someone asks you, okay, well, what kind of book is it then? What's your most sort of succinct explanation um, in answering that question of what what kind of book is the Bible? Well, the the closest I can come to a, uh, I guess, a, a short answer to that is to say that the really the Bible is one overarching story that runs from Genesis to Revelation mm-hmm. that has a, a main plot, has main characters, has key themes and events that run throughout that. 
And so one of the most important things we can do to read the Bible well is to have just a good basic grasp of what is the plot that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And one of the more helpful analogies that I've found is uh, to compare it to a television series. Mm -hmm. And so not every TV series is like this, but a good number of TV series have an overarching plot that runs from, you know, the first episode of season one all the way through to the final episode of the series. Right. And so uh, if you jump into a series in the in season three, episode four, right. you might be able to understand that individual miniature plot that is in that particular episode. But you're going to be lost when it comes to the significance of those smaller events and characters in the larger scope of the series and the larger plot. Right. And for me, one of the biggest uh, examples of this was the uh, the series Lost. Yeah. You know, if you if people watched Lost, uh, if you didn't start from the beginning and track with it. To jump into the middle of it was basically impossible. I yeah. will say, though, with Lost, I watched from beginning to end, and even at the end of the last episode, I still had no idea what was happening. <laughs> well, I, I understand that. I, I do understand that. But I remember I started the series when it was airing live on television, uh-huh. and my, my wife tried to jump in at about episode six or seven of that oh, first no. And and she just kept asking me questions. She's like, well, what, who's that person, and why yeah. do I do? Yeah. And I said, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, um, I, I don't know that I can help you. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you just need to go back and start at the beginning. So this is and totally so, off topic. But do you have a theory about what happened at the end of Lost? Yeah, that's that, you know. This I is think... going to be the. This is the most important question I'm going to ask you. Just so you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Well. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I do other than, um, you know, understanding, you know, the approach of, well, was it purgatory and were these, you know, but that still didn't all fully land in terms of putting the pieces together for me. Yeah. So I I just got to the end and maybe like you just kind of felt like the the creators just, they didn't know what to do at the end. (laughs) That's right. They, they They started this phenomenal series with all these interesting themes and uh, and motifs. And then they got about, you know, season four and they started to realize we have no idea where right. we're going to take this and how it's going to land. And so it just kind of almost unraveled on them, I think, by the end. Oh, but. yeah. That's how it felt to me as well. Well, I know I do think, though, that explaining how the Bible fits together and comparing it to a series like that is is really helpful, you know, that you can't just zoom in on one thing and then expect to understand the whole. And I think especially, you know, pastors and ministry leaders have a little bit, most often, a little bit of a head start um, because they've had some sort of Bible training in school, or at very least, we have access to such great resources and commentaries. But, But how would you help like a, just a Christian who's working in a, you know, in the, in somewhere else in a, you know, non-Christian, like non-ministry, uh, mm-hmm. vocational ministry, uh, market and workspace didn't receive a Christian education. How do you begin to help them understand some of the hermeneutical tools that many pastors use every day? Yeah. Uh, I think, um, that's that's a challenging task for all of us in ministry as we teach, uh, as we teach the scriptures. Yeah. I do think that the most important thing that we can do is to model an approach that is reproducible. Yep. 
and and understanding that, of course, that as as people in ministry, whether it's as pastors or seminary professors. Obviously, we work with some tools that they're just not going to be able to use. Yep. Just like when I try to do a project around the house, I have some basic tools that I use, a screwdriver, a hammer, but I'm no master craftsman. I'm right. no contractor. And yeah. so, like uh, mo- most of my power tools are Black and Decker, so they're not really <laughs> helpful for anything. Exactly. And yeah. so, th- there's a sense in which if we can model uh-huh. uh, a good approach, a basic approach, when we actually teach the Bible, one that someone can walk away with and say, "Oh well, I can I can ask those kind of questions. I can I can think through those kind of categories when right. I read the Bible." And that's really kind of the heart behind the book. Yep. Ultimately, was to give that basic starter set of tools: the screwdriver, the hammer, the basic saw that any person can use with just a little bit of training and uh, to be able to benefit tremendously from reading their Bible. Yeah. Well, my, I think one of my favorite sentences in the whole book that is sort of your big idea or thesis is that, that the questions we ask when we read the Bible largely determine how we understand and apply it which sure. I think is such a great insight. So without you having to sort of rearticulate your entire book, what would be sort of the key basic questions that you think every Christian should have in their toolbox when they're reading the scriptures? Right. So uh, I think the uh, I've broken up the questions into two categories, really. Uh-huh. And the first one is on the level of just understanding the Bible, so trying to, to process it and understand what the Bible is actually right. saying. And really, I'm almost sheepish sometimes when I share these because I share them and I feel like these are not profound, like I had to go off in a library and spend six years trying <laughs> yeah. to research everything to figure this out. But I do think these are questions that the Bible itself is designed to answer. That's good. And so, there's four of them. The first is, what do we learn about God? Yep. The Bible is a book about God. He's the main character. He's the hero of the story. And so, we have to start right there in any passage we read in terms of, what is this passage showing me about who God is, about what he values, what, he, what he's concerned about, what his character is like, all those kinds yep. of things. And then the second question is, what do we learn about people? And although the people described and talked about in the biblical text lived, you know, thousands of years before Mm -hmm. us, we're still all fallen human beings, still all made in the image of God. And so, there's a commonality there that we can identify with. And so, it helps us to ask that question of, what do we learn about human beings as a result of reading this passage? That's good. And then the next two are uh, related to that. So, the next one is, what do we learn about relating to God? So, it's not just who is God and what He's like, but how does God expect me to relate to Him uh, in terms of uh, what kind of things does He uh, expect us to to value and to, uh, to, to prioritize? Um, does he want us to? How does he want us to uh, to talk to him, to interact with him? So that's the third question. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one is simply, uh, what do we learn about relating to others, other people around us, neighbors, coworkers, family members, fellow students, that kind of thing. And to to really back up in one sense, mm-hmm. what I've what I've tried to do is to take Jesus' teaching in Matthew twenty two about what is the greatest commandment. Yeah. And he says, well, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And then he says the second one's like it. That's love right. your neighbor as yourself. That's good. 
And so I think if you ask that set of four questions, you're asking questions that the Bible was designed to answer. That's right. And you're putting yourself in the position to, uh, to benefit tremendously from your Bible reading. That's good. Hey, sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I wanted to tell you about uh, a project that I've worked hard on over the last year and I'm very excited about. It's my new book, Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster. Uh, Time in our culture is one of our greatest commodities. And one of the biggest time investments for pastors is certainly sermon preparation. Uh, But what if there were a way for you to write better sermons in less time? And that's really my hope and my prayer for my new book, Eight Hours or Less. Uh, It's a step-by-step guide for improving your process and being the best steward of time uh, that God's given you. And so if you have not yet had an opportunity and you've been blessed by the podcast, uh, it would be a huge blessing to me if you would uh, run over to Amazon.com or uh, my website, RyanHughley.com, and pick up your copy of Eight Hours or Less. I do think, I mean, just to encourage you, some of the simplest things are also the most insightful and profound. And while on one level, it might seem very simple, um, I think helpful trumps complex any day of the week. And it is a very uh, helpful book. And I think those four questions are a really helpful way uh, to frame and to help because I think so many people are just so intimidated when they come to the scriptures. You know, as a pastor, yeah. I hear that from people. So what, what are some of the things that you think cause the Bible to be such an intimidating book to so many people? Sure. Well, I think there's, I think there's several. Uh, one of them is it, it is a unique book and sure. so, if, if 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 someone is not familiar with the Bible at all, and you hand them a Bible, it can be striking that well, actually, there are sixty six books within right. this one book, and so that right there then begs the question of well, where do I start? Right? Do I just start at the beginning and just start reading straight through? Mm-hmm. Are there some sections that I should focus on rather than other sections? And so, just the the sheer size of it and the complexity of, wait, you say this is a book, but there's actually 66 books right. in there, can be uh, a little intimidating if someone sure. hasn't had any sort of exposure to can, the Bible. Can I interrupt you and just ask, sure. what, what, would your, what would your answer be to that question? So, someone is just getting in and they're like, all right, there's 66 books. Where do I start? Like just in the middle at the beginning. What, what's usually your sort of pastorally, what's your recommendation to people who are starting to jump in from scratch? Uh, I would. I usually recommend uh, one of the Gospels to them. Yeah. And I think uh, either, I typically either recommend Mark or John, yep. maybe de- depending on their personality and just kind of where they're at spiritually. Yeah. Um, John's probably the place I go the most often in encouraging people because, as we'll probably talk about a little bit later, uh, if, if the central figure of the Bible is Jesus, and if everything in some way connects to him, then I want to give, give them that starting point yeah. as, as, a, as a foundation for them to then eventually be able to move out into other parts of the scriptures. Yeah. The other thing I tell people is to read the Jesus Storybook Bible. Even though it's a kid's Bible, yes, I think in in if you really are not familiar with the overarching narrative of Scripture, it does Absolutely. such a good job of helping in a concise way, helping people understand that and 
has the great strength that is usually a great weakness in children's Bibles, which mm. is connecting the, every story to Christ. And, right. uh, and so the number of adults I've told, you should really pick up a copy of the Jesus Storybook Bible. Say it's for your kids, whatever you have to do, but you should definitely <laughs> read this. Yes. And actually my first exposure to that tool was in the context of helping to teach a class for Campus Crusade for Christ staff members in oh, cool. how to read the Bible. Yeah, And so we had assigned for them the Jesus Storybook Bible as a way of giving them a quick, basic, but faithful uh, overview of the biblical storyline. And so it's just a fantastic resource, and Great. we regularly give that as gifts Good. to uh, friends who have kids and that kind of thing. Well, it's very validating to me to know that a guy with a PhD recommended the book as well. So <laughs> I was going to keep doing it either way, but it makes me feel a lot better knowing that I'm not the only one. Good. Are there good. any other factors in addition to the complexity that, that you think can be really intimidating to people? Yeah, I think one of the biggest barriers is often uh, just some of the cultural differences between yeah. today and the ancient world. And, uh, you know, you, you notice this especially, I think, even more so in the Old Testament, but still in the New Testament as well. When you, for example, you know, if you take the approach of if you're starting to read the Bible from Genesis forward, yep. uh, you know, usually around the end of December, there's a big push for, to encourage people, why don't you try to read through the whole Bible in a year? Right. Which is, which is a great thing. Yep. And I, I encourage it. I recommend it. Uh, but we all know that people tend to get through Genesis okay because the stories are good and, and engaging and entertaining. Yeah. And then you get through the first half of Exodus, and then you start to get to the Levitic laws. Yeah, Leviticus <laughs> then, is coming, man. Oh, man. And then you hit Leviticus, and you just start to scratch your head like, wait a minute, they're supposed to kill that animal and pour <laughs> right. out its blood yeah. and all the offerings, and it's just like— this is a foreign world right. that I'm entering. Nothing has and killed more through the Bible in a year plans than the book of Leviticus. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, just when you encounter some of those very different cultural customs or even yeah. some of the customs when it comes to uh, marriage and family in sure. terms of <clears throat> in terms of those kind of dynamics, yeah. it just it, it, it feels very intimidating when you see that and you're not sure what to do with that? What do you make of that? And so that's where I think, again, some of these basic questions of what do I learn about God? What do I learn about people? Yeah. Can really help us sort through and say, well, I don't really understand all the things that are going on with that, but I know that this is teaching me that God is like this yeah. and that people are like this. Yeah. And so as a result, I can, I can, understand who God is better and I can understand myself a little bit better, the people around me a little bit better, even if I don't understand all the nuances of why they're doing this and why that cultural custom fits in and, and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Well, one of the, I think, helpful distinctions that you make uh, in chapter four, you said that the Bible wasn't written to us, but that it was written for us. What, what would you yeah. say is the real significant difference between those two things? And maybe what are the dangers that um, we may experience if we read the Bible as if it was written to us rather than for us? Does that make, just explain that sentence a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So um, I think uh, that distinction is important because uh, it, it prevents us if we if we hold on to it well. It prevents us from making some some simple mistakes when it comes to applying the Bible. Yeah, and uh, you know, it, it, 
when I first explain this, oftentimes it seems almost kind of like one of those duh moments. Yeah. But when you think, I'm not an ancient Israelite wandering in the wilderness, hearing Moses come down, you know, and give the laws of God. I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not a Jew living in exile in Babylon, hearing the prophets preaching directly. I'm not a Jewish man on the streets of Nazareth hearing Jesus preach. Right. I'm not a first century Philippian or a first century Ephesian or anything like that. And so what that does is it helps put a pause on me before I just draw this straight line from, well, God told this person or this group of people to do this, so I should go out and do exactly that. Right. And uh, this is one of the dangers, I think, of uh, a very popular approach, which has a good sense to it, but can be abused, is the whole, what would Jesus do? Yeah. And there's a value in asking that, don't get me wrong, but we also have to recognize I'm not Jesus, <laughs> right? I, you know, I, I'm not sinless. I'm, I wasn't sent to redeem his people yep. from their sins by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. I wasn't sent to preach the good news to the crowds in uh, in Judea and Galilee in the first century. Yep. And so I should be careful about just saying, well, God told this person to do that, or Jesus did this, so I should do this exact same thing. Right. And so Helpful. that distinction helps me slow down and say, well, wait a minute. Um, This wasn't written directly to me, but it was absolutely written for me. And that that expression really comes out of uh, Romans 15, 4, where Paul talks about uh, the things that are in Scripture were written for us to produce uh, encouragement and give us instruction and to to produce hope. And so that's a, a, a helpful way, I think, of of reminding us that absolutely everything in the Bible is for me as a believer living in the 21st century, but it wasn't written to me, and so I have to, to think through how to apply it specifically to my life and not just draw that straight line from, right. God told this person to do this, I should do the exact same thing. Well, one of the things that for sure. So I grew up in the church um, and I'm very thankful for my church upbringing. I think I had really faithful pastors who I'd never had question about whether or not we were loved. And I think they preached faithfully, but I will say one of the, the things, and this is a pretty big thing, unfortunately to miss, I, I never, even if I'm generous and I blame it on my own ignorance, I never really made the connection that Jesus was the hero of every story of the Bible, the phrase that you used a few minutes ago, until Mm -hmm. I was in my mid to late twenties, despite the fact that at that point I'd already sat under thousands of sermons and I'd read a lot of books. So Mm -hmm. for someone that might be in a similar situation that I was growing up and they hear that phrase, Jesus is the hero of every story in the Bible. And they're like, well, I don't really remember seeing him a whole lot in the old Testament. Just explain that to people. Like what exactly does it mean to read the Bible through a Christ centered lens? Yeah, so uh, if you think about uh, all of the Bible uh, as this overarching narrative that that Mm -hmm. talks about uh, God's creation of the world, humanity's fall into sin, and then from there, the promise that God would send a deliverer, someone who would be a descendant of Eve, who would obey where Adam and Eve had failed, and would defeat the enemy— the great serpent, Satan, yep. um, 
in Genesis three fifteen. That that sort of is the is the biblical storyline in a nutshell. Yeah. And so looking at how everything in the Old Testament is in some way leading up to and anticipating the need for Christ, uh, what this deliverer, this Messiah figure is going to be like, what he's going to accomplish, and uh, and thinking about it in those kind of categories, I think, can be uh, a, a basic starting point. Mm-hmm. Another way to think about this, especially as the storyline continues to develop, is this idea that if Christ is the ultimate king, he's the ultimate priest, he's the ultimate prophet, then every individual who is one of those things in the Old Testament in some way anticipates Christ. And so, if you've got, uh, you know, if you've got a prophet who is a disobedient prophet like Jonah, Mm -hmm. well, he's a negative example. So, the, the, the ultimate prophet that's going to come in the person of Jesus is not going to uh, reject God's heart for the nations, but is going to embrace it and give his life willingly to accomplish the uh, the plan of salvation going to the ends of the earth. Yeah. And so, with a king, you've got David as sort of this uh, kind of prototype of the ultimate king, and yet even David has major failings and major sin. And so, even as the Bible anticipates a king from David's line, it's a king who will be even greater than David at his greatest and won't have all of David's flaws and sinfulness that limited him. And so, if you think about that sort of dual purpose, and the same is true for a priest as well. So, thinking about how does this individual uh, figure anticipate the the ultimate prophet, priest, or king in Jesus— And uh, another way of looking at it is, since, since sin is so pervasive in, in human existence, anytime you see examples of that in the Old Testament, uh, you see, well, there's the need for Christ. There's the need for this Redeemer, the one who is going to defeat the enemies of God's people and give his life to pay for our sins as, as our ultimate substitute. So, That's those great. are just some of the categories yeah. that I think can be helpful. Totally. And, and then even thinking in the New Testament, and this is a place where I think some people, even if they have what we might call kind of a Christ-centered approach mm-hmm. to reading the Old Testament, sometimes they don't carry it on into the New Testament when they get into the epistles and, and yeah. later parts of the New Testament. So, that you know, they get to, you know, say Ephesians, and there's just this this litany of be like this, don't be like this, do this, don't do that. And they don't connect it back to, well, Christ is the ultimate embodiment sure. of the one who lived this out perfectly. Yeah. And he's the one that forgives us because we can't do that perfectly. Right. And he's the one who gives us his spirit to live inside of us, to empower us to grow in our obedience in yeah. those areas. So, just thinking about that as a constant kind of reference point or a, a sort of uh, north pole for the compass that we use to, to read the Bible right. and come back to. And Ephesians is such a great example of a lot of what we've been talking about. So, remembering sure. that it's a letter that, you know, was originally written and largely written to be read in one sitting that has the first yep. three chapters that are very clear about this is what the gospel is. And then the back yep. three chapters are about this is what the gospel does. But when we preach through it in the way that we do now, um, 
it's easy when you get to those back three chapters to detach them from the front three and make the very right. mistake that you're talking about. So I think that's important. So what would you say on the topic of preaching, number of you know, preachers and teachers, uh, various kinds are going to be listening. If you had their ear for a couple of minutes, just in general, thinking through the things that you're passionate about and have written about in these books, what, what encouragements uh, or warnings would you give to preachers? Sure. Well, I'd say the, the first thing is, and I mentioned this earlier, but I think it's so foundational, the vast majority of the people in our churches will learn to read their Bibles based on how we teach and preach and model it. It's good. Even if they, they never sit in a, a Sunday school class or a training session we might have on how to read the Bible, they will inevitably begin to pick up by watching you how to read it. Yep. And so it's so essential that we model it in a way that someone looks at that and says, I can do that. I may not be able to do it to the same degree and to the same ability and to the same skill level because I don't have all of the previous education or knowledge, but when it comes to modeling an approach, I hope that all of us who have the great privilege and responsibility of, of preaching and teaching can model an approach that says, you can do this, you can follow along and see what I'm seeing, mm -hmm. and you can do it and reproduce it in your own uh, personal reading of the scriptures, which again, I think just having those four questions that I had for understanding the Bible are a good foundation. And even if we even sort of drop those in as we're preaching and teaching as a specific so what does this passage teach us about God? And yeah. then kind of sort of unpack that a little bit. Yeah. Not every week and not so it becomes this sort of dry formula that people start to roll their eyes at, but but as a sort of uh, framework for us and then occasionally sort of surfacing it directly for people and saying, okay, I think this passage has several things to teach us about who God is or about how we should relate to him. Let's, yeah. let's look at those. Yeah, that's helpful. Anything and then, else? What, well, one other. Now, let me give a uh, let me give a caution. Sure. I think that um, one of the dangers that we as 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 preachers and teachers and pastors have to be aware of is um, making sure that we don't undermine people's trust in the scriptures by mm -hmm. how we handle the scriptures. Okay. And the and the specific thing that that I that I have in mind is. Um, if we're preaching a text and we might disagree with the way the that particular translation renders a phrase or an expression, if there's a steady diet of, well, I know the ESV says this, but it's yeah. better translated as, yep. or I yep. know the NIV says it this way, but that's wrong. And right. in fact, it should be rendered this way. Yeah. The, the subtle uh, and sometimes not so subtle effect of that becomes for the person in the pew who doesn't know Greek, doesn't know Hebrew. Right. There can be this. Well, I can't even trust this thing in, right. in front of me. Yeah. You know what? What else can I can't can't I trust that's in there? And so, that's very good. I, I just think there there are ways to express uh, if we disagree with the translation yep. as that we're preaching through. the The biggest thing I would encourage is is if you can find another translation that renders it in a way that you think is more accurate yep. to just be able to say, you know, I think the, the NIV really captures the sense here when it translates this as, yep. and then give it that way. It's not, 
coming across as you can't trust your Bible. Right. These English translations are not reliable, and you need to have Greek and Hebrew to really be able to read right. the Bible. Right. I I just I, I cringe when I think about some of the things I said earlier in my ministry in terms of preaching yep. and teaching on Me that too. front, yep. and when I see. Uh, younger guys coming out of school and that kind of thing when they when they're so excited to use their Greek and their Hebrew, which <laughs> right. is which, as a Greek professor, warms my heart. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I, I I just I want to make sure they use it well so that it doesn't become this hindrance to uh, people trusting their Bible. That's a very very good word. Last thing I was curious about was I believe I read you have two sons. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And what are their ages? Uh, my oldest son just finished his freshman year in college, so Great. he's 19. Okay. And my uh, younger son just finished his sophomore year in high school. Okay. So your kids are a little bit older now, but maybe even thinking where your kids are now or even when they were younger, how, like, what does it look like for you to implement the Bible uh, to their children, you know, when they were especially at a young age? If parents are thinking, okay, well, I, I want to really... Uh, that's my the people I'm the most immediately responsible for. How do I help them sure. at a young age learn to do this? What would be some advice that you would give to parents? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the first thing I think is, again, on the modeling front of it, we need to model in our own lives a, a love for God's Word. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, we, if we approach even trying to get into the Scriptures with our kids— in a way that makes it clear it's sort of a, well, this is a duty. This is just one more thing that we're supposed to do because we're Christians. Kids pick up on that. And so uh, part of that is just sort of fueling and cultivating our own love for the Scriptures so that when we sit down and talk with our kids about the Bible, they can see that we love God and we love His Word. Mm -hmm. And in in, in conjunction with that, I think— when we sit down to open the Bible with our kids, sometimes I think we end up overcomplicating things. Mm-hmm. I think we we have this expectation that we have to have almost like this mini devotional or Sunday school lesson planned out yeah. in order for this to be productive. When something as simple as let's read a chapter together mm-hmm. and let's just talk about what do we learn about God in that story? What yeah. do we learn about people. And so, using that as a, as a launching point for um, just some of that basic uh, understanding of who God is and, and who we are as human beings, um, I think can be just a very simple way of doing it. And I, I, I think the last thing I'll add on that is, is that um, there is a value absolutely for, uh, for planned, intentional times of doing that. Mm-hmm. But there is such an incredible value also to the uh, spontaneous and wrapped into our daily lives kind of conversations where we're sprinkling in and talking about God's Word. And so, bringing that to bear on situations as we have opportunity so that our, our children realize, wow, the Bible informs everything at some level. Yeah. And so, when they begin to see that, hopefully what we're creating is this uh, this approach that says, um, if I want to know how I should live my life and I want to know how I should think about who God is and all the situations I face, the starting point is going to be God's Word. That's right. 
Well, that's great. And I just want to thank you again uh, for the book. I think it's going to be a great help to everyone who reads it. And uh, so much wisdom bound up in that. I do want people to know that are not familiar with your book that it is. One of the things I appreciate is how accessible it is. It's not, you know, a thousand pages long. Um, People can get through it you know, in a few sittings. And I think that everyone will, uh, regardless of their level of comfortability with an exposure to the scriptures, I think everyone will benefit from, benefit from it in some way. So thank you so much for your time today and for all of your efforts in writing this great book. Thanks for having me. Well, my thanks to Matthew Harmon uh, for both his book and the conversation. Scott, what are some of the things that jumped out to you? Yeah, the... Um the thing you guys actually talked about right at the end, but it caught my attention uh, as a uh, as a father of three kids and uh, somebody who wants to do the best that I can to raise my kids loving the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you guys just talked about how to how to shepherd well yeah. know, kids and loving the Word, and yeah. um, and he just talked about needing to model a love for God's Word. Yeah. And I think sometimes I jump over that into practical steps towards family worship, mm-hmm. which is a great place to be. Yeah. Um, but forgetting that, um, that ultimately I don't just want to go through a routine with my kids, mm-hmm. but I want them to grow up seeing a love for God's word mm-hmm. and a, um, a faith in God's word and a passion for it modeled in my life. Yeah. And so I thought that was really good. Yeah, that's good. Uh, he talked a little bit about, it's like the Deuteronomy six picture mm-hmm. of not just family worship, which is certainly great, and important, <clears throat> and uh, but also just the sort of as you go talking about the scriptures, which I do think is um, I have opportunity to grow grow in just seizing opportunities and bringing it back to who God is, what yeah. He's doing, the scriptures in particular. But uh, no, I agree. I thought that was a great point. Yeah, you guys also talked about some myths about that people believe about the Bible, uh-huh. and uh, one of them was the whole. You know the Bible kind of being a magic eight ball, yeah. Being the that was good roadmap uh, to life, roadmap to life containing. You know when you pray about should I, you know, go to this university or should right. I take this job or marry this right. person, you kind of hope to see the answer in it, right? And uh, and I think that's always a good reminder because it's helpful to uh, understand what you know what we are going to get from the Bible yeah, and not look for, you know, it's not going to have the name of your spouse in it yeah. most likely. Right. Um, and, uh, and that sort of thing. And then understanding, but here's what we can learn mm-hmm. and here's how we can make wise decisions in those situations. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, I thought that was good. The Bible does contain your wife's name. It does. Rebecca. Rebecca spelled differently though. So it doesn't oh, count. That's true. Well, yeah, you know, nobody's perfect. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, God is who wrote the Bible. <laughs> I know. Is that I'm what you're not, saying? No. <laughs> Don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> Anything else? Um, no, I, I mean, I, overall, I thought it was really good. I think that, um, yeah, I think understanding, I think, I think effort to understand the Bible is always um, effort worth giving. Right. Um, and, uh, and his book certainly helps with not only understanding, but applying the Bible. Yeah. And, um, I do think that too many Christians come to, I don't, I mean, this sounds pretty harsh, but just come way too lazy to the Bible Mm. and want to have this sort of, um, life altering divine revelation spoon fed every time you open the Bible and invest your like five minutes in a rushed quiet time. Yeah. And it just doesn't, 
Yeah. That doesn't happen very and, often. And it takes a lot more work. And sometimes you read about circumcision. <laughs> there is always that day. So it's like, you know what I mean? <laughs> what do I do with this? Yes. Yes. No, no. <laughs> and then sometimes you read about circumcision. Yeah. yeah. No, Greatest line in the history of in the room. <laughs> <laughs> is that line. I'm declaring it officially. So, oh, man. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, as always, you can find us on social media. I'm at, at Ryan Hughley. Scott is at, at Scott Holthouse. H-O-L-T-H-A-U-S. Oh, gosh. That's that was the disgusting. Worst. I'm just so used to... You're just so used to spelling... Your last name, if you have a name that is not That's easily true. pronounced. Do you always spell it to people in that sort of like, I'm an R&B singer tone? <laughs> yeah, I do. Yeah. I like to have a rhythm to yeah. it. Are you in Boys to Men? Yeah. I do a little snap. <laughs> H-O-L-T. Remember the guy, like the deep, the bass guy who would talk at the beginning of all those songs? Yeah. I wanted to be that guy, but instead God gave me the voice of a prepubescent boy. Hey, girl. All right. That sort of thing. On that note, That's we're worst. all done. I should edit that out. <laughs> <laughs>